0: It's like einstein used to say you know if you if you judge a fish by his ability to climb a tree then he's gonna fail every time
1: welcome to the lions of liberty podcast here's your host your guy your shining beacon of liberty mark claire Roar, my Liberty Lions! Welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. And believe it or not, this is my last one of the year. It's my last conversation about the ideas of liberty of 2016. Not the last of this program, though, because you'll have another Felony Friday coming for you this coming Friday. But until then... I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which is the 275th episode of this program. And that means you can find today's show notes featuring links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com 275. And guys, I have heard so many stories out there about people trying to sign up for the Obamacare exchanges, trying to figure out their insurance. Well, guess what? Even though the open enrollment period is over for many of you, our friends at Health Excellence Select can still help you. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is making his second appearance on this program. Having first joined the show back in episode 125, he is the chairman of the Libertarian National Committee. I am pleased to welcome back Mr. Nicholas Sarwark. Nick, are you ready to roar?
0: Absolutely. Probably more ready than Katy Perry.
1: (laughs) That's saying a lot, because as we know, that woman is always, always roaring out there. uh now nick so um first of all we haven't spoken uh, in a while so uh first of all i guess congrats i know it's been a few months but you were recently reelected as the chairman of the lnc so you know i know it's been a few months but congrats on that so uh why don't we start there why do you think that the delegates the libertarian delegates obviously they had a lot on their mind at that convention but they did decide in the midst of all the craziness to uh stick with nick so why do you think that is
0: you know, I think they must have seen something good in the direction that the party was going under my leadership, and I hope to to earn that support over the next two years.
1: And you will be up for uh, re-election. It might be a little too early to decide, but uh, 2018 is actually the next Libertarian National Convention, and it's funny because I already hear so many Libertarians – talking about 2020 and going, getting in there for the convention of 2020. But it seems that people forget there's a whole nother election cycle. There's a whole nother convention before then. So I think that might be one of the biggest challenge that libertarians or just people that are trying to influence politics uh, in any way kind of face is getting people to pay attention during that time where they're not normally paying attention, where there's not a presidential race, when all their friends and family aren't talking about politics. So what's your kind of plan over the next two years to get people engaged in politics, to keep people within the libertarian party engaged and to support, Libertarian candidates out there.
0: The 2018 election has so much work for the Libertarian Party to do. And going back from there, even the 2017 year has local elections in states like Virginia. Um, All of their state elections are up. But there's also a lot of ballot access challenges the party still faces, Uh, even though we came out of the 2016 election with the best ballot access picture we've ever had in party history, um, having 37 states in the District of Columbia locked down there are still those other 13 states that are necessary to do some work in. So we're looking at getting party status back again in Ohio. That's going to be a huge project that's going to probably inspire a lot of people to, to come forward and, and do some work. And that's the key to it is, you know, none of this ever stops. Uh, a lot of people thought, oh man, you know, once you get to November 10th, everyone can take a break. That may be true for the presidential candidates, but for the party, the work just starts on November 10th.
1: Now, you mentioned having 37 states locked down. Is that is that referring to achieving major party status and therefore ballot access in those states?
0: Uh, it's having ballot access in those states. We have 37 states in the District of Columbia where we either have it and had it already, or we gained ballot access from the performance of the Johnson & Weld ticket, which is better than we've ever had before.
1: And that basically means that you won't need to have people running around trying to get signatures like mad for months and months and months on end just to get candidates on the ballot in those states. And District Columbia, they will just automatically be able to be put on the ballot. Is that how that works?
0: That's how that works.
1: And so can you give us kind of a, an idea of how much how much of that changed due to the performance of the johnson Well campaign? How many states did you have before this election cycle?
0: So coming into to or coming out of the 2012 election, we had, I believe, 31 states. And at that time, that was the best that we had done coming out of an election cycle. So, you know, 31 to 37, that's that's a huge increase. That's about a 20 percent increase in number of states that we have. So the performance this year was incredible. We got ballot access in states like Kentucky. We've never had it before. We retained ballot access in Oklahoma which is important because we, we had spent um, well over $100,000 uh, getting Oklahoma Party ballot status again that they hadn't had since the year 2000. So maintaining that and not having to spend that money again is huge.
1: Yeah, and I didn't even realize uh, that you had 31 states going in. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of people picture every state, people just scrambling to get people on the ballot. But there actually had has been some progress even before this election, uh, significant progress in in maintaining that status in a lot of states.
0: Yeah. I mean, over the last 45 years, we've worked tirelessly to really do the groundwork and do the the work of building up parties across the country rather than depending on just the top of the ticket. Or the presidential race, or just coming around every four years. Um, and that's one of the things that's distinguished the Libertarian Party and put us in a position where we are the real alternative political party in the country is doing the hard work of building the grassroots rather than, you know, grabbing a big name like, say, a Ralph Nader or a Ross Perot.
1: I have heard some libertarians. Um... In the past few months, uh, obviously, there's a, a lot of critics surrounding the Johnson Weld campaign, as you know. But I've heard some people actually say that in some states, gaining major party status can actually hurt the party. I don't really fully understand what the argument for that is, but I have heard it. So do you, is there any legitimacy to that at all? Are there certain states where I, maybe the the burden of what you would need to do as a major party could be too much if the party hadn't actually you know grown to that extent?
0: Yeah, there, there are states where becoming a major party has some benefits but it comes at a large cost an example that that i remember from when i lived in colorado uh, tom tancredo had run for the constitution party there and received a very large vote total for governor and that made the constitution party into a major party in colorado and they weren't prepared for it because once you become a major party in colorado you have to have precinct level officers and all of these county things, and you have to do all sorts of organizational stuff that was orders of magnitude more than they were they were ready for. So some states have those state law requirements, and then you either need to go to court to try and push back against them and, and point out that you have a First Amendment right not to have to do that kind of thing um, under a Supreme Court case from, I believe, the 70s. Or you have to just grow to that level, you know, and and so that's that's a real question that each state party has to ask themselves is, you know, is this going to be beneficial or or harmful? You know, are we ready for that growth? You know, but the fact that we're even having that conversation is some real progress.
1: Sure. I mean, I, I don't think that was even probably part of the dialogue in the Libertarian Party 20 years ago. Back then, it was probably more just like, hello, we're over here. Anybody see us?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a much better place to be. Um, having to deal with the pain of success.
1: Now, uh, obviously, there's a lot of positives from the Johnson-Weld campaign. Uh, there's possibly some negatives, too. You're no stranger to the critics. You have the Internet and you have uh, you know real-life conventions where I know there's been a lot of critics of the presidential candidates. I do want to focus a little bit more on the positive, though, first. And uh, there's no doubt that you cannot deny the fact that Gary Johnson and Governor Bill Weld received the, mo- the highest vote total of any Libertarian candidate in history. So what is your assessment of, of the other positives of the Johnson-Weld campaign? What, what benefits have you seen towards the Libertarian Party as a result of this election cycle?
0: You know, the the campaign itself uh, tripled, more than tripled the highest vote totals that, that a campaign had ever gotten at the presidential level in the Libertarian Party. The fundraising was, I think, more than quadrupled. Uh, the highest fundraising level we'd ever gotten before. And that was really allowed a lot more than could have been done otherwise. But those had uh, spillover effects on the party itself. You know, our national party membership is at the highest level it's been since I believe, we have to go back to like 2000, 2001, to get to those kind of numbers. Our revenue was, you know, way higher than it was predicted to be coming into the election year, even with the normal, you know, increases you get from the excitement of a presidential campaign. And there are, you know, probably about a quarter million Johnson supporters who we can now go out to and talk to and, and see whether or not they want to become part of the Libertarian Party. You know, there are probably some voters who just voted for Gary Johnson one time and have no interest in Libertarian politics. You know, maybe they knew him from New Mexico or something like that. But there are also a lot of people who are kind of waking up to the fact that the two old parties don't really represent them that those are not viable political options and we just have to go out and invite them in
1: what would you say to people that are concerned that people that were brought into the party, specifically by the Gary Johnson and, and Bill Well campaign, might not be quote-unquote real libertarians. They're maybe just people who liked, uh, liked their messaging, but a lot of people out there don't feel that Gary Johnson's messaging really is libertarian. I think he said a lot of things that rubbed some libertarians the wrong way. Uh, what would you say to people that are concerned with that, that while they see the numbers, you can't deny the numbers, they see the people coming into the party, that people that are concerned that, that they might be leading the party uh, in the wrong direction?
0: You know, there's no gatekeeper in the Libertarian Party. There's no one standing at the door checking your papers before you're allowed to come in. And that's Be not your job? Libertarian. <laughs> now, it's funny how many people on the Internet seem to think that that was my job over the campaign. You know, why aren't you going out and rebuking the ticket that the delegates chose or, or kicking so, so and so out of the party because they're saying unlibertarian things? And it's not my job. You know, the delegates choose their candidate. It was a real convention and it was a contested convention and not everybody's gonna be happy with the choices the delegates made. But it's you know, what I would say to those people who have some concerns is get involved in the party. You know, the the party is not some sort of static institution. It it is a a dynamic and ever-changing group of people who've come together for the idea of creating a freer country. And, you know, things ebb and flow. So if you feel like there are people who came into the party who feel differently from you, then recruit some people who feel the same as you, you know, try and outnumber them. I'm all for that kind of healthy competition. What I what I don't agree with and I'm not going to, you know, help enable is the idea that, you know, you're not going to recruit anybody new. You just want to stop the new people from showing up. You want to kick them out. That kind of behavior really isn't productive at all.
1: Sure, and even if, if people did come into the party, they didn't show up as, a uh, anarcho-capitalist Rothbardians or, or whatever ideal that a lot of people out there want everyone to be, no one's going to start that way on day one. And look, I, I've had my criticisms of Gary Johnson, of Bill Weld to no end. But at the same time, you know, I run a libertarian podcast. We get a lot of listeners that, that are brought in in various ways. and And I can say anecdotally that I have seen a lot of people come into our private Facebook group and say, you know, they first heard about this other thing, this libertarian because they just found out there was this guy Gary Johnson running for president, and maybe that's all they really learned from from Gary Johnson. They learned that there's another party, and someone's on TV talking about that, and they really hate Donald Trump and they really hate Hillary Clinton. So they they went around googling, and part of that googling led them to my podcast, led them to other libertarian podcasts. So so even if Gary Johnson and Bill Weld might not have been great messengers, we can argue about that all day long. You can't deny that it is bringing some people into to go down that rabbit hole. So the, the key really for people that I don't think that really like the messaging of Gary Johnson or Bill Weld is to go find those people, you know, and talk to them, you know, bring them your messaging, show them what you think libertarianism is, you know, because the, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, they're just two human beings. They, they can't do everything. And even if they had a great message, they wouldn't be able to completely change the Libertarian Party on their own. I think, like you said, that is really up to the people and the individuals who, who care about these ideals.
0: Yeah, a lot of people in the Libertarian Party seem to confuse the role of, say, an ad man you know, putting up billboards to get somebody down to a car dealership or something, and a salesman who is there to work one-on-one with people to get them into a car, get them to make that buying decision. They aren't the same, you know, and, and, and no ad man is going to put on a billboard, you know, the entire contract to buy a car. And no salesman is going to be able to get away with speaking in, you know, short clipped platitudes that, you know, just sizzle a little bit, but don't actually get down to the specifics. You have to have both. And so, you know, I think a lot of the people who are disappointed in the presidential candidate don't understand what a presidential candidate's all about. You know, that's a, that is the most retail, the most broad saturation of retail politics that you can get. That's, you know, the, the complete opposite of the local city council race where you're going to be able to knock on every single door and talk to every constituent individually. And so, you know, don't expect it's like Einstein used to say, you know, if you if you judge a fish by his ability to climb a tree, then he's going to fail every time because you have to you have to judge things based on what they're, ought, they're, they're meant to do, what the talent That they have where they're supposed to be. And I think a presidential campaign, especially at this point in the Libertarian Party's history, is that first impression that, you know, leaves enough of a positive impression to get people to want more. And then I think the closing really is something that Libertarian Party members have to take responsibility for.
1: So you would view that the presidential candidate whether it be Gary Johnson or whoever as basically that billboard that that initial sign that gets somebody's attention that just points them out hey there's this car dealership or this libertarian party down the road why don't you stop in and check it out and then once they're in there well that's when you can really dig into them about the ideas and and the nitty-gritty uh, you know of the philosophy
0: Absolutely you know one of the things that you always see in presidential campaigns, and this is not specific to Libertarian Party, this is all over, is reporters constantly complain that such and such candidate doesn't have policy specifics. They're not talking about what they would really do. They haven't specified what their plan is. But if you look at, at voting patterns and how people actually calculate their support, voters don't care about that. Reporters care about it because it gives them something to write about. Voters could care less. They care about whether or not that person gives them a good feeling whether they give them a better feeling than, you know, the other person does. That's all they care about. So, you know, a lot of this armchair quarterbacking comes down to people who are super analytical, uh, of which we have probably an an inordinate number in the Libertarian Party, (laughs) being upset that someone doing this mass market retail politics isn't talking to a small minority of people. You know, you just it's not about you. And that was something, you know, I realized even as chairman of the National Party, that once that nomination was secured, the, the candidate was no longer talking to me. You know, the, that first CNN town hall got a lot of critiques from people because the candidate wasn't presenting as strong a libertarian message as people wanted. And it wasn't about us. It wasn't about talking to the libertarian base. That was done in order to secure the nomination. It was about talking to the middle of America who didn't really know anything about libertarians and giving them enough of a warm, fuzzy feeling to check it out, to go to the campaign site, to maybe give some money or put on a bumper sticker. You know, it's not about converting them 100 percent on that first touch.
1: I think what you said there about how the typical American or typical human being (laughs) makes their political decisions. Uh, is very accurate because we've basically seen that embodied by Donald Trump. The biggest criticism, or one of the biggest criticisms, there's a billion of them out there about Donald Trump, has been his lack of policy specifics. The fact that he he would never really say anything about his policies. He would just be out there emoting and and you know putting out slogans. Well, guess what? He's the president elect now because people don't care about policy specifics. Now we can argue that that's sad and that is sad. But you know when we're talking about retail politics, you know there's something Donald Trump is good at. And that's retail marketing, and he used that to launch himself to the presidency. But he didn't do it by, you know, having detailed breakdowns of all his policy specifics. He did it by identifying a few key issues that people were really passionate about, and stirring them up on those issues, making them have a feeling that made them like Donald Trump. It gave them a feeling that he was the guy that was going to go in there and fight for them, or destroy the establishment, or whatever. It is that people were looking for their presidential candidate to do. He was able to capture that uh, in a way that was really unconventional. But at the same time, it's really just an extreme version of what all politicians and all presidential candidates have, have been doing for, you know, as long as politics has been around.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are things in politics just like there are things in marketing. There are things in sales that work. And some of them are things that people find distasteful or they find corny or they find, you know, they just don't like it. And so you get these these concern pieces about, you know, there's too much negative advertising in politics. Negative ads are there because they work. You know, there's not enough policy detail. There's no policy detail because details can drive people away in a way that generalities can't. So why would you divide your market like that by giving them reasons to not vote for you? And so I think, you know, as libertarians, we can either recognize how people actually behave, what what actually works in politics and marketing, or we can, you know, try and white knight this whole thing into, well, people shouldn't want that. We should be able to sell them in a different way. We should be able to to talk to them in our language and they should just understand it. I mean, you can try that all day long, but I don't think you're going to get a lot of success there until you start engaging people where they are.
1: Nick, I got a little bit more to grill you on, but first I need to take a minute out to give a word to our sponsors. Guys, I have purchased my own health insurance for the past decade, and I saw firsthand how prices just skyrocketed after the implementation of Obamacare. Suddenly, I found myself with huge premiums, huge deductibles, and being told that I have to buy this specific insurance or I'm going to get fined, I realized right away that this was a scam and that I needed to seek an alternative. And I found that alternative in the concept of health sharing. This is an amazing legal alternative to Obamacare that allows people to share medical expenses with people of similar values. For most people, health sharing is a much more affordable option and it's a lot less taxing on your soul than that corporatist Obamacare health insurance. And our friends at Health Excellence Select have put together the ultimate package to help you manage your health care. You can learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash health or giving my rep Jeff Cantor a call. He can be reached directly at 440-283-6849. Be sure to tell him Lions of Liberty sent you. Now, for, for all the critiques out there um, amongst libertarians about Gary Johnson, about his messaging, about how maybe he forgot what Aleppo was at 5 a.m., uh, maybe he stuck his tongue out at a reporter and it was a little goofy guy. There's a lot of a lot of critiques about him, but for the most part, I never saw a lot of anger, true anger about Gary Johnson. However, I can't really say the same for his running mate. Now, you're, you're, no, you're no stranger to this, the, the fact that a lot of people were very much upset by Bill Weld, but specifically, I think a real breaking point for a lot of people came uh, when he went on to television and and said that he was vouching for Hillary Clinton. Did did seeing that or hearing that bother you at all? Uh
0: you know, it's not he definitely used phrases that I wouldn't use, but I also, you know, don't have a multi-decade personal relationship and I haven't worked with her. So, you know, I'm I'm sure he has a different perspective. I also didn't have a preference really for which old party candidate won. Uh and it, apparently he did. Uh, and he didn't get his preference. So, you know, I consider that to be punishment enough. But, um, you know, one of the problems with expressing a preference for for which evil would be lesser is that, especially as a libertarian candidate, uh, you tend to draw from both sides pretty equally. So expressing that kind of preference may make some people happy. And, you know, I I, I think it actually resonated fairly well in the Northeast and in some liberal areas that, you know, he was being kind and and statesmanlike, you know, and being respectful towards the the secretary of state Ms. Clinton. But I think, you know, the problem with that is that the people who thought that, you know, if you couldn't have Gary Johnson, you'd rather have Donald Trump, they all get really pissed off about it. And, you know, that's there's a cost to doing that sort of thing in politics. I think, you know, the reaction was not surprising to me, but you also have to remember if you look at 2012, the Johnson campaign raised about $2.5 million. If you look at 2016, the Johnson campaign raised uh, just shy of $12 million. The only difference in that ticket is Bill Weld. So, you know, what's it worth to to be a little upset with somebody saying, you know, kind things about their opponent? Is it is it worth $10 million?
1: So do you think a lot of the appeal and a lot of the reasons that more money was brought in this year was because of that maybe that that dual governor marketing strategy which was really Johnson's strategy from the beginning he wanted to be able to say look we've got two experienced governors here who have a, a record of being fiscally conservative socially liberal i know that phrase is going to bother a lot of people out there uh, but but that was the strategy so and, and you would say that based on uh based on the numbers based on the the money that came in and based on the people that have influxed the party i i guess you would say that strategy w- was successful in its mission it
0: was successful i mean it that's Obviously, the thing it is, could have
1: been more successful, but, you know, so could everything. So
0: could everything. And and that's, again, it's, it's back to the fish climbing a tree. You know, if you try and judge the Johnson campaign by a metric that you created in your own head, you know, for whether or not they make somebody bake a Nazi cake, then, yeah, you know, they're going to come up short because you made that metric up in your head. If you judge them by their own metric, which was we want to have... The most successful libertarian campaign. We want to raise more money than otherwise we would be able to. Then they were wildly successful. There are a lot of people who will take Bill Weld's call who won't take Gary Johnson's call. And you know, you can fight that frame, or you can play sour grapes and go, "Oh gosh, we don't even want their money." Um, I don't think you can be very successful in politics by saying we don't want their money or we don't want their vote too often. Uh, that's not usually a winning strategy. So. You know, it, it came at a cost, and the cost was Bill Weld phrased things and, and had some deviations from the Libertarian Party platform that some of the more hardcore people didn't agree with. And, and that's the thing. Do you want to have the most pure messenger with a tiny little megaphone standing on a street corner being listened to by 10 people? Or do you want a less pure messenger with a giant megaphone who's able to reach millions? This is a trade-off.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people out there got spoiled by by a guy named Ron Paul <laughs> back in 2008 and, and 2012, uh, a guy who was on the national stage, got a lot of attention, and really did speak well to to the libertarian philosophy, but... We still have to look at Ron Paul and, and what his quote unquote success was. I mean, he floundered out of the Republican primary. That that was his political, you know, the political result. Uh, I think the the uh, the better result is how many people got he became interested in the ideas of liberty because of Ron Paul, and perhaps right. perhaps some of that is because of how pure his message was. But you know, a large portion of that might still just be because Ron Paul got them excited, got them interested, and again sent them down that rabbit hole. So really, what we got to look at is. How can we get more people down that rabbit hole to get them even thinking in this in this other way, in this way that is so outside the the current political norms? And uh, we can't really expect everybody to be Murray Rothbard in the process of doing that.
0: Right. Well, and Murray Rothbard as a politician was pretty terrible. You know, I I, hate to I hate to voice an unpopular opinion. But bring it, um,
1: Nick. That's what we do here. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Phil philosophically, you know, I, 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 have some of his books, I actually have a silver round with his face on it. Uh, and I agree with a lot of what he said that said, he was kind of a jerk to a lot of people. He picked some very unsavory political strategies, especially nearer the end of his career, you know, and that's the same thing with the Ron Paul, you know, I, I don't want to speak ill of, of Dr. Paul, but the success that he had. Primarily has been success for Ron Paul. You know, it builds up his mailing list, his institutions. It didn't build up the party he had chosen to be in, either of them. And, you know, it's you run a very dangerous line if you get too tied up with one personality in anything, in politics or or in life. And I, I see some of that happening with Ron Paul because he had policy prescriptions that were straight up wrong and anti libertarian. And I've talked to people where if you point out these specific things that he's chosen as policy, they will twist into pretzels to avoid speaking ill of, you know, Ron Paul, because Ron Paul can do no wrong. You know, and everyone's capable of being wrong. And, you know, the the strength of libertarianism is that the principle doesn't care who the messenger is. You know, it's either a libertarian position or it's not a libertarian position. And sure, none of us are perfect, but none of us shouldn't be given a pass on having to have actual libertarian positions or or not be able to be called out, you know, when you say that you oppose marriage equality. You know, that's not a libertarian position to have. States rights is not a libertarian position and it's something Ron Paul had pushed for a long time. You know, I don't go out of my way to call it out, but I do want to call out sort of that pattern of saying that a particular person because you like them or because they inspired you that they are they are no longer capable of being wrong and no one can criticize them.
1: I think that's such a great point and it's it's something that um People all across the political spectrum are privy to or prone to is to just follow personalities, whether it's Obama or Donald Trump. I mean, you'll see an Obama supporter or a Donald Trump supporter arguing against the same things as long as it's their guy. That's, that's the right. one doing – you know, or the other – the competition who's doing the quote-unquote bad thing. But you, you flip the names and suddenly that bad thing becomes totally fine, and, and libertarians are in no way immune to this. I mean – Heaven forbid you say a single negative word. I mean, I, I guarantee we're going to get comments on, on this show just from what you said. Uh, you know, so you say a remotely negative word about Ron Paul. I mean, I probably like 95% of what Ron Paul says, but there's probably 5% at least that I disagree with. Heaven forbid you bring up anything in that five percent, and and you you know the, the name calling shall ensue among the libertarian right. community. There's just no doubt about it. And I and I think what you said there, it's, it's it's the same thing though. It's looking at one person, whether it's Ron Paul, whether it's Gary Johnson, whether it's Bill Weld, whether it's Murray Rothbard, looking at one person as the the savior, as the one who's finally going to bring liberty to the masses. And that's just not not how it's going to work. Uh, and and I think um, something you probably realize or definitely realize, because that's the task ahead of you in the next two years, is that there's so much more to politics, there's so much more to messaging, there's so much more to government and and kind of building a movement than a presidential race. Uh, so uh, could you maybe just briefly describe your role and uh, the role of the Libertarian Party of the National Committee in helping the many other Libertarian candidates that are out there that are going to be running in the 2018 election, especially in a year where, sadly, you know not as many people are paying attention to politics and, and paying attention because they don't have that those big presidential personalities out there drawing them in?
0: Right. I mean, you can't you can't underestimate personality. Uh, You know, it's a natural human instinct to to like personalities and for personable people to be able to be more successful. You just want to be careful, you know, not to get locked into a cult of it. You know, the national party. This is one of the things a lot of people don't understand about how our party is organized. The national committee is responsible for. You know, we have a national office and a staff, and we do messaging and stuff like that. But all of the Candidates other than president and vice president are nominated by state parties and state parties are independent of the national party. They're affiliated, but they're completely autonomous. So they can choose to do things I agree with. They can choose to do things I disagree with. They can choose to run candidates that I wouldn't like or candidates that I would like. And so a lot of what we're doing going into 2018 is making sure that we provide those state affiliates with the tools that they need to be successful in the way that they define success so you know we have people who are dedicated to helping states build better websites helping them get organized to the point where they're able to have a paid executive director or get their fundraising infrastructure to the point where they're not scrambling to you know send out a newsletter or have a booth at the state fair and then we're also trying to create an attractive image for the party so that you know these people in local communities I, I talked to somebody at the national office just this last weekend who had come up from uh the norfolk area who had just been inspired by what was going on and the messaging to go and run in a local race in virginia in 2017. you know what we can do is is kind of keep that light on and create that conduit to to attract those candidates to get them hooked up with their state parties so they can get nominated they can run for office and then shine a light on them you know spotlight people who are doing well who are spreading this message because you know as good as the state affiliates do as good as these local candidates do that bubbles up and impacts how successful the national party can do you know Gary Johnson brought in hundreds of thousands of people if not millions of people who heard libertarian party stuff for the first time but Gary Johnson wouldn't have picked the libertarian party to run under if we hadn't been doing all that groundwork, running local people, you know, really building that message over time, building that organization. So you don't want to discount either end of that equation. And and I never forget from the national perspective how important what activists and state parties are, are doing to our success as a, as a national organization.
1: Nick, one more thing i got to ask you. With all this, this time you spent in the Libertarian Party, everything you've learned behind the scenes, have you considered the idea of applying that to uh, running for office yourself? This is actually something that several people in our private Facebook group uh, asked me. So uh, do, you, do you think there's any chance there could be a, uh, a stick with Nick? Or I guess it wouldn't be stick with Nick if you're running for the first time. But <laughs> Nick's our work uh, campaign for office.
0: It is possible. It's something that I will probably do at some point in the future. It's all about, you know, kind of picking your shots and being strategic about it. You know, right now, I feel like my best work can be done in building up the structure and building up the strength of the Libertarian Party as a as a political platform and as a political coalition and movement into something that can be even more competitive. And at the point where I feel like, you know, my efforts would be better used in seeking a particular office, then I'll step down and let somebody else be chair.
1: All right. Well, Nick, you know, a lot of people that listen to this program, I have uh, listeners that come from sort of all different ilks that arrived here in many different ways. Some of them are just interested in the ideas. Other of them might be more interested in getting involved in the Libertarian Party, possibly for the first time. So before I let you go, why don't you just direct people out there, if they've heard this interview, maybe they were inspired by you just now to get more involved in the Libertarian Party. How can people do that? What's the first steps people should take to get involved, whether it's locally or at the national level?
0: First step is go to LP.org. And from there, you can contribute, you can join, you can become a card-carrying member. You can find out how to get in touch with your state party affiliate, You know how to get involved locally, what candidates are running, and see what sort of news that we're making.
1: All right, Nicholas Sawark, he is the LNC chair, at least through 2018. And we wish you the best of luck, Nick. Keep up all the great work and keep on roaring.
0: Thanks a lot. Have a great day.
1: All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great Nicholas Sirwark, the calm and collected chair of the Libertarian National Committee. And there is no doubt that 2016 was a crazy year, perhaps the craziest year in politics that I have ever seen. And that craziness did actually lead to Libertarians having more of a chance to reach out to others than in past decades simply because of the Clinton Trump dynamic and and how unpopular those two candidates were. So it really did present a good opportunity and, and we can say that the Libertarian Party didn't capitalize on that opportunity enough. They should have done more. They should have had a different candidate. Yada yada yada. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of points here and look, I've been a critic of Gary Johnson. I've been a bigger critic of Bill Weld. We have not left these guys alone at all. But we do need to look at the bigger picture in some ways and you know, if we're looking at presidential candidates to, to turn people into pure libertarians, I, I think we're going to be chasing our tail. What we do need to do is get people interested in the ideas of liberty so that they can be in a place where they are ready for this conversation. And I think that's what we tried to do with our liberty draft, the recent liberty draft that was a big hit in the libertarian community. My man Nicholas Sawark was actually drafted in that draft by the team Make Liberty Great Again. So be sure to go back, by the way, and listen to the Liberty Draft if you guys have not checked it out. But the point being, look, there's a lot of people in our Facebook group who I I only later found out only came to the ideas of Liberty through gary johnson through this very election cycle not because gary johnson turned them into libertarians but because he made them aware of the libertarian party of another way of thinking and that actually led them to google libertarianism or go on itunes and look up libertarian podcasts well guess where you find if you look up libertarian podcasts on itunes you find this show you find the Jason Stapleton program. You find Tom Woods. You find the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. You find the Lava Flow podcast. You find We Are Libertarians. You find the Remso Republic. I think I've plugged everybody that's, that I've worked with in the Libertarian podcast world in the last year. These are all great shows. I consider this an ad for everybody, for every Libertarian podcaster out there, because the more voices we have out there advancing the ideas... And advancing this conversation, the more people we're going to be able to turn into quote-unquote more pure libertarians, whatever that means to you. It's a continuing dialogue. And the more people we can get involved in this dialogue, the more we can advance things on certain issues. Whatever issues we may care about, whether it's the war on drugs, as I'm passionate about, whether it's foreign policy, whether it's monetary policy, ending and curtailing the Fed, there are so many things that libertarians are passionate about. But how are we going to get people to the point of accepting this conversation? Well, that is the grand question. No one has the right answer. But it's hard to deny that, to some extent, the Gary Johnson and Bill Weld campaign was successful at doing that. Now, it's not who I would have chosen, but... As Nick pointed out, there are positives, and we got to look at the positives and the negatives. we got to look at both to really get the full picture. Now, guys, I want to personally thank you guys for making 2016 the biggest year in Lions of Liberty. This is our third year that we've been doing this, and the show's gotten bigger than ever before. We've more than doubled our listenership in the past year, and that's thanks to you guys. Maybe it's thanks to Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. I don't know. But without listeners, without people that were interested in this conversation, we'd have no show to do. We'd have no reason to do this. We all got lives. We all got careers. But we keep showing up at this microphone because we are passionate about advancing the ideas of liberty. And we're going to keep doing that in 2017. And we've got some big announcements coming. In fact, this coming Monday, our first show of the year, our first Lions of Liberty episode of the year, we're going to have a major announcement about the new format of this program. So stay tuned. But hey, what good's a new format if we don't have more people coming in to listen to this thing? And that's where you guys come in. The best way you can help us advance this program, advance the ideas of liberty in the coming year, is by sharing this program with your friends, with your family. Head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash lionsliberty, and start liking, start sharing. You can head over to our Twitter if you're a fan of the tweeting at Lions of Liberty. And of course, we'd love to invite you to join this conversation over at our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. Just search Lions of Liberty Forum in your Facebook search bar. It should pop right up and we'll get you right in there to join this conversation. And you can also help this program. This is so key. This is so key by subscribing to the show. Subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Very important. Whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Stitcher, whether it's on YouTube, that subscribe button is so key in helping get this show more of those earbuds out there, as well as your ratings and reviews, those five-star ratings and great reviews you guys have been leaving. Bring them on. Keep them coming, because that's what helps this show grow, and that's what helps the ideas of Liberty grow. That's what we're doing here. We're going to keep it up in 2017 until this Friday, your final felony Friday of the year. Why don't you all give me one last good one for 2016? Live, live! And live free, my friends.